Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Elixir Mix podcast. This is our first episode, and uh, this week we have with us Justin Bean. Hey there. Mark Erickson. Hey. Josh Adams. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, yeah, since this is our first episode, I thought we'd just talk a little bit about the show, kind of what we want to see happen with it, and give everybody a chance to get to know all of you folks. We also have two other people who have agreed to be on the panel. Eric Berry is taking care of some personal stuff and just couldn't make it today. And Cody Pohl is also on the list, and I didn't get him on the calendar invite, so you can all blame me, and uh, we'll say nice things about him next week. So yeah, let's, let's go ahead and just start with introductions. Josh, since I uh, called on you first, why don't you, or last, why don't you go first? Yep. So uh, I'm Josh. I do, uh, I run Daily Drip and started Elixir Sips. I've been doing Elixir for five years now, I think. Maybe, I don't know, since 0.10, I know. And uh, yeah, it's still the thing that I choose to start backends in. Anyway, so glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, Justin, how about you? I'm Justin Bean. I'm the lead Elixir engineer over at CodeFund.io with Eric Berry. Uh, I've been doing Elixir for going on two years now. I'm a longtime Rubyist before this, but I fell in love with Elixir and it's all I've been doing since. So happy to be here. Thanks. Nice. And what about you, Mark? Yeah, my name is Mark Erickson. I've uh, come from Ruby most recently. I've been in Elixir now for about two years. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I really love Elixir. I got super excited about pattern matching, OTP, everything like that. It's uh, I'm, I participate with Cody. Uh, we manage one a, a meetup locally, and I have another meetup that I run. And uh, I'm a software architect for a back end, and it's all Elixir. And I do all the building of it too. So I'm excited to be here. Very cool. So when you say you run a meetup locally, is that something that's within striking distance of me? Uh, so we run... Uh, one that's hosted where uh, Cody works, uh, that's the Elixir Lunch. And then I host a Utah Elixir that's an evening one. And so they're both in Utah Valley. All right. Well, that's within striking distance. That's cool. All right. Yeah, I know Mark from the local community. And uh, Josh and I have interacted a bunch over the last several years related to Ruby. In fact, I think I, I know both of you through the Ruby community as well as Eric. So, Yeah. Kind of interesting. Everybody has that sort of Ruby to Elixir background. For me, I've just kind of played with Elixir a bit. As you can imagine, I'm trying to stay on top of a whole bunch of different technologies. And so I kind of pick one and play with it for a little while and then move on. So yeah, I'm about halfway through Dave Thomas's Elixir course. And I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or I'll just call out if you go to devchat.tv slash Elixir course, then that'll link you over to Dave's course. Part of the reason this show got started, and I'll kind of dive into that, and then I have a few other questions just to, uh, you know, get the conversation going about how you all got into Elixir and how other people can get started with it. Um, So the show was something that uh, I did a survey last year. I need to do that again this year and ask people questions about themselves and things like that. Information that I could give to sponsors in general about the demographics of the shows. But then I also asked a bunch of questions about the website and the podcast and stuff. And I asked what podcast people wanted to see us start next. And overwhelmingly, there were two technologies. And I bet you can guess what they were, or at least one of them. Um, one of them was Elixir and the other one was React. So um, the largest show on devchat.tv is JavaScript Jabber. Um, so, you know, we got a lot of JavaScript 
JavaScript people in and they wanted a React show. So yeah, we did that for you. And then you also have a bonus with Vue. So we started a Vue show as well. And I kind of pulled everything together for the React show and the Vue show because I had people who were helping me get a little momentum on that. And the Elixir show kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. And then Eric got excited about it. And so he found most of our panelists. And yeah, so we kind of pulled things together. And that's, that's how the show kind of came about. And it's funny how many people I'm reaching out to that I know from Ruby Rogues. So yeah, we'll, we'll see who we can line up to get on this show. But yeah, ultimately, for me anyway, the show is something that I want to pull together, mainly because it serves a community that I feel like I already know some. And also, um, I just want to provide content that makes a difference for people. And this is an easy area to expand into where I think we can make a difference. So uh, for me, that's kind of the payoff. Hopefully, I'll see you all at some Elixir conferences and stuff. But yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm going. I'm curious what the rest of you are looking for as far as you know, what you'd like to see from this show and what you're hoping to get from the show. I mean, so what I want to see is more people using Elixir uh, just because I, I tend to enjoy it quite a bit and want the community to grow. But also, I, I think that having discussions around some of the, I, I guess, more Erlangy or OTP things that maybe don't don't get, uh, like the first four months you play with Elixir, you might not get into them uh, as as deeply as I think you should. Like, we're doing like clustering uh, inside of like VPNs for, for a project I'm working on. And I don't, don't even know how I would do that uh, without Elixir. So the fact that it enables new stuff makes me want more people to use it. Nice. I'm guessing everybody else is just kind of al- al- alongside those things one way or the other. Yeah, for me, I just want to learn uh, from other people who have been doing Elixir for longer than I have. And, um, you know, get my head around some new patterns. Like I'm interested in the clustering stuff. I'm interested in, in uh, using macros and things to build frameworks. So I'm just looking to like share ideas and learn from others. Nice. Yeah. I love the, uh, the idea and the opportunity to involve more people like uh, from the community to help raise awareness of the projects that people are already working on. But I like Josh, you know, I just want Elixir to have a bigger audience to have more people using it because like when I, when I came to Ruby, I came from C sharp and I, when I came to Ruby, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what web development is supposed to be. This is so much fun. And I haven't had as much fun until I came to Elixir. When I came to Elixir and I started learning what I could do with the functional programming and all the different unique characteristics that the beam provides, I was like, man, this is just so exciting. I just want to share this with people. So my, my excitement is really just to try and help other people have a good experience with Elixir and to help answer questions. Yeah, I can, I can echo that pretty, pretty heavily. Ruby was the first language that I like loved rather than like was using to get a job done. Ruby was the first thing where I was like, I'm going to play with stuff that I will never use. Um, and Elixir is like really was the second one uh, for me. Um, and then Elm is the third one. So anyway, so yeah, I, I want people to, to enjoy it the way I enjoy it. Nice. I think I have somebody lined up that we're going to be talking to about Elixir and Elm. So that should be fun. I'm kind of curious too, you all mentioned that you came out of the Ruby community and into the Elixir community. Do you want to talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So for me, you know, I was a long time Rubyist developer and moving into something like Elixir made a lot of sense to me. Like the syntax seems pretty, was pretty similar to me at the time. And, uh, you know, I I had for a long time, I guess a bit of difficulty wrapping my head around some of the more object-oriented paradigms and 
in Ruby and uh, with Elixir, for some reason, it just made a lot of sense to me. So, so I'm curious how you found Elixir. Was it just people talking about it or was it a particular conference talk or something else? Uh, so I took a job as a, um, as a senior engineer at a place here in Boulder, Colorado, and they were rewriting a Node API. It was like Node and MongoDB in the back end. They wanted to rewrite it in Elixir with... Um, with Postgres and, you know, there's a lot of like um, offline use case for this project and uh, we ended up building a pretty robust CQRS framework uh, in Elixir. So that's how I came across it and ended up kind of taking the lead on the project. That makes sense. How about you, Josh? How did you get into Elixir? I've I've discussed it a few times, but Generally, my, my arc went through Erlang to Elixir. So I was working on uh, actually like this meta exchange for uh, Bitcoin, so across multiple exchanges. And we built it using an actor model, but we did it in Ruby. And my plan was, I'll use Celluloid and I'll use JRuby and stuff will be great. Because it really called for the actor model. We wanted like stateful web sockets and it made a lot of sense. Um, and I, I don't blame Celluloid, but it turns out you probably shouldn't do actor model stuff. You expect a lot of traffic on in Ruby, or at least shouldn't have back then. Uh, so like I was enamored with the actor model, but mm -hmm. it ultimately didn't cause any real problems on that project, though there were some growing pains. But uh, eventually I was like, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that I'm so interested in the actor model and I'm trying to shoehorn it in with Ruby. Um, and so I started getting interested in Erlang and there was a Nash FP. It's a functional programming meetup in Nashville. And Brian Hunter uh, was running like an Erlang class every month, like you know, for like four months solid. So my, one of my best friends lived up in Nashville. And so we went, we went there uh, and sort of learned Erlang that way. And then during that period, somebody linked me to the Elixir talk from uh, Ordev, I think is how it's pronounced, where uh, Jose showed like moving a module across the cluster with just by moving the bytecode over. And uh, that was literally one of like my, my little playground toys I was building in celluloid at the time basically needed that and couldn't get it. And so I was like, okay, this is the thing I want to like invest time into because I have lots of use cases for that kind of thing and it's hard to get it other places. So, and now I use that quite a bit. Very cool. How about you, Mark? Yeah, I came mostly from, so Ruby was the most recent uh, language I'd been using and along with JavaScript and it was really Dave Thomas. Uh, I really respected him as a Rubyist and in uh, his Ruby books and just as a speaker. And when I heard him start talking about Elixir and how he was getting excited about it, then that, that made me think, oh, there's something here. I should, I should pay attention. And so I got his book when it came out. And that was when I first started into Elixirs when uh, his book was out. And I started playing with it. And you know, a lot of the concepts were very different, being functional instead of object-oriented. And and using a lot of recursion and, and, and the message passing. It was all very different. So it took me a little while to get comfortable with it. So, but uh, that's been something I've been excited about is just, you know, I, I, I usually look to uh, leaders in the community that I respect and I, res uh, I see kind of trends and I watch for those. And that's kind of how it, what ended up bringing me to Elixir. Nice. So what do you guys recommend then for somebody who's newer uh, to Elixir or, you know, everybody has kind of a Ruby background. And I think, I think I see a lot of movement 
from uh, Ruby to Elixir. I see it from other communities, but not as strongly. So if somebody has some experience with Ruby or maybe JavaScript or something, and they're thinking, oh, this Elixir thing sounds good. Oh, I just found a podcast on it. And, you know, we're kind of talking about our experience with it. Yeah, how do, how do people get started with it? So for me, I think the biggest thing is like learning the data types and then getting your head around the recursion patterns more than anything. Um, I didn't spend personally a ton of time looking into Phoenix or any frameworks. Um, whereas like with Ruby, when I got started in that, I think I learned Rails pretty much immediately. Um, and then that's like, I guess my, my biggest, uh, you know, first step, I think. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. Um, what I always like is like, I'd, I'd love for someone that's new to the language to try something way different than what they're doing right now, right? Um, because it gives you more like play space and lets you approach a problem that you're not, if, if you do a problem that you're very familiar with in like an object-oriented style, you probably will start off using the language wrong or, you know, in a way that you're fighting against the grain. So if you do something like way different than what you normally do, and it lets you just kind of explore the language rather than try to shoehorn like active record into Willis or something. That makes sense. Yeah, I think um, for getting started, I think there's a lot of resources that are available online. I know Josh is involved with creating some education resources. Um, I'm working on creating a course uh, to help people uh, come who are new to Elixir because, you know, as part of doing meetups, it, you a lot of the people who come and visit are people who are uh, really just kind of trying to get their head into it. And so I think uh, local community is a great place to get started if you can find any local meetups. Um, otherwise, uh, a lot of resources online are available for free. There's uh, some excellent books and Pragmatic Studios does have that course. And I think that's what you were alluding to, Charles. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of great places to get started. Yeah, and, and I'd love to piggyback on that and show very briefly. Uh, we created dailydrip.com five weeks or 25 screencasts. That's like just a free intro to Elixir and OTP and Ecto and Phoenix. And um, that's like if you just kind of want to play with it, it, there's a progression that I think is is useful, which gets you like doing message passing before you play with something like Ecto. Very cool. Like I said, I mean, my only experience has really been through Dave's course and then just fiddling around in the what is it, IEX or whatever the interactive, That's the thing. interactive elixir. So cool. And as far as uh, getting it installed on the machine, I guess most of these tutorials will walk you through that as well. Yeah, like brew install elixir. Sure, just make it easy, why don't you? But yeah, I've, I found that most systems do have a package manager that'll just pull it in for you. Yep, there's a package on Windows as well in chocolatey nugget or however you pronounce that that uh, Honorio has maintained since way forever ago. And it's just trivial to get it running on Windows as well. And obviously on Linux, you, uh, you do it however you do it in your, in your system. Yep. So are there particular resources you like? I mean, some of you mentioned Dave Thomas's course or book. Are there other like blogs that are kind of indispensable for staying up with Elixir? Or Reddit? I don't know. Uh, I think the Slack channel or the Slack community is is really good and then there's our elixir which i visit now nah, i don't know maybe maybe once or twice a month i should i should visit it more but i'm busy um anyway and uh i like the stuff that i have put together and made available for free but uh, there's lots of other really great stuff um and there's lots of links actually from the elixir lang site 
there's links to, to learning resources and they all tend to be really good. Yeah, there's the Elixir Weekly email newsletter and then there's Elixir uh, Radar, which is actually by Platformatech, who's the company that's behind Elixir. And then there's uh, a local Colorado person does a website called elixirschool.com as well, which uh, you know has a lot of tutorials and things for people who are looking to get started with it. And then also just the uh, the actual guide on Elixir Lang is way better than most programming language guides on their website. They can walk you through really cool stuff. Also, howistart.org has a really good post. I think it was their first post is from uh, Jose. And it's like, like now you're learning with portals or something. It's it's really covering the message passing stuff. And it's uh, it's really cool. And hey, it's Jose talking about how he starts with Elixir. So it's worth a read. Yeah, there's another website I, I follow. It's called elixirstatus.com. And it's really just a, a, a place where people have the ability to just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I created. Here's a blog article. And just kind of sharing kind of news of the community. Uh, it's one of the I like to follow. Oh, yeah. Also, there is the My Elixir Status hashtag. So on Twitter, check out My Elixir Status as a hashtag. Mm. There's people posting awesome stuff all the time. Yep, I agree. Very cool. That's pretty much where I wanted to go with things and just kind of get an idea of, you know, where everybody's at. What do you all use Elixir for at work? Are you all working in Phoenix or are there other things you're doing with Elixir? Uh, The project that I'm working on right now is all pretty standard Phoenix. Um, In the past, I've built frameworks using Umbrella applications. So I've had a couple of uh, Phoenix servers running for like an API and then a web application and then sort of decouple the rest of the application into uh, you know smaller Elixir applications at a cluster or a, an application running the database or like a command a command service running mutations and things in the database so um, but then I've also built uh, you know other other frameworks and things you're mostly using either like plug as a web server or Phoenix as a web server if uh, there's something that I need, like the things that Phoenix provides. Like I, I really like the um, like the route helpers and things that Phoenix gives you, and then it makes it easy for me to spin up uh, a web application pretty quick. But in uh, in service of doing things that aren't webby, uh, I like to like I've I've run a, I still run a few services just on my machine that um, are just Elixir apps. They have no web anything. They have a database, and they'll do things like watch uh, IRC channels or Slack channels and slurp in interesting links for me to review later because I can't, you know, I can't watch all the time. Um, and then separately from that, like there's a, on a project I'm working on, we need a relatively frequently updated exchange rate so that other things can get it quickly. Um, and we actually, normally I would just maybe store this in memory, but in this case we need to store it in the database for reporting purposes later. And so we have like one app in our umbrella app that literally its sole purpose is on a cron job every 10 minutes, go get an exchange rate, put it in the database. And then other things that need it, pull it from that table. Um, and then do a lot of Phoenix. Uh, typically, I just use Absinthe these days. So Phoenix and Absinthe make a GraphQL thing and then put a front end on top of it. I am presently on a super secret project uh, that I'll launch in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to be using to start like Phoenix Absinthe has a way to annotate a, a view function with uh, a GraphQL as a module um, attribute to like do GraphQL queries to get them into the views. And I think that's really neat. I, I'm just not playing with it, but yeah, 
generally, I, I don't do much view stuff in Phoenix these days. I just generate uh, GraphQL APIs and other interesting things that aren't web-related at all, like RPC to machines running a custom OS. Cool. Yeah, at work, uh, we, we have a Phoenix uh, backend. It's an umbrella app, so it's actually two Phoenix uh, web servers uh, that have a series of different apps for business logic. Um, I also have a private, just a personal project that I was working on. That's uh, it was a Phoenix app that also an umbrella that hooks up to a CouchDB, which is also an Erlang uh, document database. I was playing with, um, but I also agree with Josh. I love GraphQL. We use Absinthe on the for the API on that, and then have like React based um, web web and mobile front ends. Yeah, so my GraphQL experience, so I was like very fast with Rails and Ruby. Uh, in my experience these days, there's a little learning curve, but I'm, I'm way past it. Like I'm now much faster with Elixir and GraphQL than I ever was, you know, building a Rails app. And it turns out it's a, it's a really, it's a much better product uh, at the end of the day, if I'm like just getting something out quickly. Um, so that, that was a surprise. I didn't expect it to be much faster, but I feel like separating the concerns as well as it forces you to makes you, you know, build stuff faster. Now you said you do most of that stuff with GraphQL. So are you using a front end framework of some kind to build your views? Uh, React Native and React and uh, the new thing I'm working on, we will have an Elm front end that'll replace the sort of Phoenix apps that thing, but um, haven't gotten there yet. So primarily React uh, and Preact, which is broadly the same thing. Yeah. I'm also curious as to why you think you're faster in Elixir than you would have been in Ruby and Rails. Um, so I think part of it is just the, uh, like, things are just faster uh, when you don't, I think it comes back to the, you know, you wanted a banana, but you got the banana and the gorilla and then the jungle. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that quote. I don't remember who, who said it. Uh, Alan Kay, actually, I think said it. But that's sort of how he describes object-oriented, um, or well, what we call object-oriented languages. And so just inherently, when you're building with functions, you're like you're passing things in. You don't have a lot of external dependencies that are kind of global and expected, like state that happens to be attached to a piece of data. Um, and so, like because of that, testing is trivial because you never build yourself into a corner where it's hard to test a thing because you can't because it's just functions and data. Um, and so that's ultimately, I think, what it is. Like the only thing that ever slowed me down on Rails stuff was like I'd get to this point and then I realize, oh, I've got to mock like thirty-seven things to make this service testable. And I just have never gotten there at all with Elixir because you kind of can't because there's no state attached to your functions. So what do you think the future of Elixir is? It seems like it's gaining in popularity pretty quickly. Um, do you think it's going to surpass some of the other languages that we see out there? Um, you know, JavaScript, Ruby, Python, Go? I think it, it certainly is my hope that it will continue to grow in popularity. There are certainly... Uh, a lot of languages have niches or niche, however you want to say that. Um, like Python is very big in like the data, data analysis, data, you know, processing. There's already these uh, libraries that are just available to use. So it makes sense if you're going to do data crunching that you're probably just going to use where the libraries already are. Um, with Ruby, I think it's positioned really well to, to kind of take over a lot of Ruby. And mainly because it has the good uh, language syntax as a way to kind of welcome people in. 
And in a way, it's a little deceptive because it makes you think, oh, this is just like Ruby, but faster and concurrent. And then you start to play with it a little bit more and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like really different. Uh, but I think- They trick you. Yeah. But it's also- I've been watching me play with it and that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's super common, right? Um, but it's okay. You know, and I used to- I think it's I think it's an okay way to kind of bring people in. It just you have that initial comfort. Yeah, my my take on it is I don't care too much how much adoption it gets. Like I think this is how the Erlang folks felt. I care a bit because having a community helps you get libraries, which is why you know Erlang never got a package manager. Um, so I feel like that's very important if you want access to the rest of the community. But Elixir is kind of over that hump, and from here I don't. Like, I'd like a lot of people to use it because uh, I think they'll benefit from it. But, like, I don't need to be using the most popular language, right? I don't, I don't, uh, don't want to write JavaScript on the back end. If I wanted to use the most popular language, I would probably do that. Um, so I don't care that much about it. I mostly care. But, but in terms of where I think it's going, I think it's, it's kind of a sleeper uh, on sort of Internet of Things stuff. Um, it's pretty fantastic if you're doing something like that. And it's not on a lot of people's radar. I mean, Elixir people know that it's useful for that, but the general purpose IoT people, I feel like, don't really know about it. And at some point, they will become aware and it will get a big influx and nerves will help with that. And I think that's really interesting because then you'll have all of these ideas come from totally not the web, right? And Elixir is perfectly suited for that. But in that way, it'll kind of be less homogenized in the community. I'm glad you brought up nerves. That is one of the things that uh, when I first started learning about Elixir, and I learned that this was a project that's already out there. Uh, I was super excited, and I I've been super excited about it. And it's like it's it's on my mental workbench. Like I want to play with this. I want to spend time with it. Uh, I just haven't uh, dedicated the time to it yet. But uh, the promise of that, I totally agree. It's when you think about the the history of Erlang, how it was running. Uh, you know, in these remote locations in Sweden as part of a phone network where you're running these routers. And if the router goes down and you have to send a tech physically out to go take care of this or reboot it or something, that's, that's a real significant problem. And, it, and uh, the idea is they solved that problem a long time ago and they wanted to build a system that, you know, it's okay if we drop a single phone call, but it's not okay for the network to go down. And just that idea of it's okay to let things fail when I can't recover from it. That's just, I can let that die and I'll just recover and come back. And that's what the, one of the, the neat things about nerves is you can build these small IOT devices that can have uh, live upgrades uh, and nerves helps uh, facilitate that. But it, it does, it just helps. Uh, solve a lot of these interesting problems. And it's a, a big direction where things are going is the whole IoT. And then you're always talking about like, well, you know, security concerns, IoT devices have to be able to be upgraded because manufacturers aren't taking care of them and they need to be upgraded because now your light bulbs and your toaster are used in a denial of service attack against somebody. And uh, so nerves, I, I love the idea of it being part of uh, a broader audience and more people using that for their IoT because it does have a lot of those abilities to say, hey, we can update your firmware and it has the built-in kind of framework for doing all of that. 
Yeah, I think, um, so I'm glad that you brought up the live upgrades. That's something that's really interesting about Elixir that I haven't seen in other languages that I've been a part of is just the ability to push code um, on a running server uh, so that any further request takes the new code that's pushed. Um, so I think, obviously, Elixir is going to be big in distributed systems work and IoT, as other people have said. And, uh, you know, for people who are coming from Ruby to um, things that you might have used a library for in the past, like uh, maybe a sidekick type operation, Elixir is great for handling those things natively, just using OTP and, uh, you know, agents and, and things like that to handle state ETS tables and things like that to handle state. So, yeah. One of my favorite things when I was first learning Elixir is like, just look through the Erlang standard library. Uh, it's extremely robust. Uh, you can do, you can have an SSH server that tunnels someone into like one of your processes and does stuff or spins up a process when someone SSH is in and gives them any of a number of things. Like maybe it's a mud, I don't know. But uh, that's just the fact that that's in the standard library along with all kinds of other stuff. Like the, the debugging, the debuggability of uh, the Erlang VM is like, unbelievably good uh and you don't care about it till you need it and then you love it uh so i think that's that's super interesting and also just rounding back to nerves uh i am probably very soon embarking on building a whole bunch of uh sort of iot things around my uh my house i just bought like some property and i want to put elixir devices around it because that seems fun that's really cool now i want to go play with all this stuff do it do it all right, cool. Well, is there anything else that you think we should talk about in kind of an intro episode as far as, uh, you know, getting people excited about Elixir or getting people started with Elixir or just by way of introduction as far as, you know, the companies you work for, any projects you're working on or anything like that? Um, you know, I could I could just say if someone's like listening and they, they do Elixir and they're, uh, they're interested in being able to work in Elixir, you know, on a more, more full-time basis, one of the contracts I'm working on is uh, pretty much always looking for people. Uh, so, and it's really cool stuff. It's sort of the IoT ish thing. So, anyway, if someone's interested, I know that I know that they're always interested in talking to people. So, with CodeFund, uh, the project is actually open source, and there's not a lot of examples of open source Phoenix projects or, uh, you know production code running. Uh, so I would just encourage people to come to our GitHub repository at gitcoin.co slash code fund and just take a look at the code, uh, pick one of the issues, open a pull request, and then you'll probably most likely deal directly with myself or Eric on that. So, you know, just in terms of like getting in, getting started and learning some of the, the uh, framework and uh, the paradigms of Elixir and Phoenix, like, Come take a look at it. So, so now that you mentioned Gitcoin, I have to ask: Does does Kevin play with uh, with Elixir these days? Uh, Kevin is more just a Python guy still. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah, he hasn't gotten into it yet, but there's some possibility for cross cross operations there with him. You're going to give him the same try it. You'll like it. Definitely. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Mark, let's start with you. So for my pick today, I'm just going to go with uh, the elixirstatus.com that I mentioned. It's just a, a nice resource to just kind of keep your thumb on the heartbeat of what's going on in the Elixir community. People are announcing new, new libraries, new versions of libraries, blog articles, and just interesting things that, that are going on, conference announcements and such like that. 
And with that Elixir status, it's the uh, hashtag MyElixirStatus on Twitter. It's the same. A lot of those things get reposted. And uh, if you want to learn more about what I'm doing, uh, you can follow my blog at brainlid.org. And I am at brainlid on Twitter. That's it for me. All right, Josh, what are your picks? So my primary pick and uh, is not Elixir related. My, my focus, I like people to think about sort of systems generally. So there's this blog post that just was posted recently called Eponymous Laws of Tech. And it's really good. It just covers a whole lot of just kind of laws like Metcalf's Law and Fitz Law. And uh, I think it's interesting that they're all collected in one spot. And I think it would benefit sort of architect people to, to read through them all and make sure you're aware of them. Uh, I have some that I am not was not familiar with. Uh, and then I guess on, on the Elixir front, I think that everyone should write tests. And there's this project called Wallaby that's really good for doing uh, integration tests from Chris Keithley. And so I wanted to give it a shout out because it's awesome and you should play with it. It's, uh, it's a browser driver, but it's better than the others you've used. Nice. So yeah, we've been trying to get an episode with the Wallaby folks for a while on JavaScript Jabber. So hopefully we can line that up, but it's cool tech. Justin, what are your picks? So my pick um, in the latest uh, Elixir Radar um, email, there was a, a link for Django Knots actually to pick up Phoenix and Elixir. And so I'll post the link in the chat for everybody, but it's... Um, you know, a great blog for people who are coming from Phoenix, or I'm um, sorry, from Python and Django to pick up Elixir. Uh, and then personally, I'm working on a library called WaveWriter. It's on my, my GitHub. Um, my GitHub name is Stare Into the Beard. And it's a, it's a non-web-facing Elixir project that allows you to do parsing of uh, wave files. And right now it it uh, can read and write and split channels and um, working on some normalizations, some audio generation and stuff in there as well. So check that out and add some functions and features and stuff to it if you'd like. Um, my GitHub and my um, Twitter handle are at stare into the beard. I forgot to mention my Twitter handle. It is neuter, K-N-E-W-T-E-R. So there we go. 14-year-old decisions, bad decisions. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I was going to say that sounds horrible. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to jump in with some picks here as well. Um, the first pick that I have, so I'm here at uh, NGConf. Um, and what I found is that a lot of these conferences are totally willing to help you do interviews with speakers and just kind of cover a, a topic or you know highlight a talk or things like that. So I'm here at ng-conf, um, which is the big Angular conference every year. It's held in Salt Lake City. Um, so yeah, I didn't have to travel very far. Uh, funny enough, um, I drove less than 45 minutes. Well, okay, take it back. The traffic was really bad. So I, I drove about an hour and 15 minutes to get here. But uh, I got a hotel up here downtown, <laughs> staying in a hotel, even though I'm not that far from home. Um, but yeah, I'm really... I'm I'm really enjoying just being up here and I have a bunch of equipment. I'm just going to do an equipment pick this week. So um, I have a camera and the camera came with a uh, boom mic, which is kind of the, the mic that looks like a really fat Muppet finger. It's an Ordo or O-R-D-R-O camera. It's got a wide angle lens. The microphone's okay. The camera itself is is decent. 
Um, I got another camera previous to that and the sound quality on it was awful. And so I couldn't use it again. Um, I still have it. So I may use it for like a second angle to do the interviews on. But anyway, uh, I've been pretty happy with that. And yeah, I got a tripod. It's just an Amazon basics tripod. It was like 10 bucks. Um, so it was cheaper than trying to figure out how to replace the little clip on top that got broken on my other tripod. But uh, yeah, all of that's been really nice. And then one other thing that surprised me lately with um, with uh, just life in general is um, I've been kind of looking for a good way to get my dad around because he's he's basically lost mobility. And it's, it's really hard to just get in places because we, so just to give you an example, we had a family dinner at my sister's house on Sunday and my brother and I basically had to lift him out of the car and then put him back in the car from the wheelchair. And, you know, it's just, it's not comfortable for him. The, the clearance on the car isn't great. And so anyway, there are a lot of problems with doing it that way. Um, so I was just looking around on uh, Facebook marketplace. Um, incidentally, I found another one in another classified site that's local on KSL classifieds. Mark knows what that is. Um, and, uh, so the classified site had a wheelchair equipped van, wheelchair lift equipped van. And, uh, they were asking three grand for it. And I talked them down to $1,500 and, you know, it's surprising what you can find online is all I'll say. Um, and it turns out that the Facebook marketplace worked out for me basically because KSL classifieds and Craigslist expire their listings after 30 days. And Facebook Marketplace doesn't. They just don't expire them unless you mark them as sold. So um, anyway, I found the I found the van, um, and they were willing to negotiate because they'd been trying to sell it for like six months. So anyway, I'm just going to throw that out there as a tip if you're looking for uh, stuff, cars, whatever. Um, I always buy used cars. You should see this van. It's a piece of trash. It's my piece of trash now. So anyway, um, yeah, I I, I just. I found that an interesting way to go to find stuff that you need. So I thought I'd call it out as kind of an interesting life tip. All right, folks. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will come back at you next week. Uh, we have guests lined up for the next two weeks. So let me just give you a preview of what that looks like. We have Brian Joseph signed up for next week uh, and he's going to talk to us about Elixir script. And then the week after that, we have Chris Keithley coming to talk about whatever we want to talk about. But yeah, we have him lined up for next week. And then um, I think that's all we really have solid for the next few weeks, but we'll be lining more people up. So keep an eye or an ear out for those. Uh, we'll try and get all of the RSS feeds and stuff set up and uh, make that all available for you as soon as possible. Um, but yeah. So, and thank you all for being willing to, jump on a call every week and talk about Elixir and help folks out. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yep. All right. Well, we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>